Cahoog's house. Jimbo Fisher is out to Texas A&M, and that weirdly does have a tie into our Houston Cougars and the Cincinnati game from the weekend. And basketball talk about. Let's jump on in. You are locked on Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cougs, the podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston born teacher and coach Parker Andrew, here to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater who can't step by, please be sure to subscribe down below. That way you can lay on Cougs in your newsfeed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked On Cougs your first listen of the day. If you're finding us on YouTube, welcome back to the YouTube channel. It is so, so good to see you again. Remember that subscribe button. I'm trying to do a giveaway every 200 subscribers. And the next one of those is at 1750. 1750. We're at about 1700 the time this recording. His script helps get there. Like, comment on the video to listen to the contest. If you don't know what to say after today's zigzaggy type of episode, tell us in the comments down below what you like in your kolache. Now, today's episode is going to be a number of different things talking first about this Jimbo Fisher news because I think it does tie to Houston in a way that folks need to be aware of. Um, talk about what I, what I went down in Cincinnati after a second watch the tape on Sunday. Yes, I did subject myself to watching that one more time through. Thanks to YouTube TV. I'm going to go back and watch the uh, TV cut a second time. Didn't get prettier the second time. Really didn't. Uh, and then last but not least, as it is that Equinox of the year, we're talking about all kinds of sports. We have a full segment on basketball. Well, a lot of basketball as we frankly talk about men's basketball side of things with Charleston Classic this weekend. Uh, that's a lot of different things to get into. So let's jump on into that first segment about Jimbo Fisher. So if you are living under a rock, don't have eggy friends on social media, or just don't particularly pay attention to those kind of things on Sunday, Jimbo Fisher uh, was fired from his position as the head coach of Texas A&M uh, Aggies. Uh, he has been a high-end recruiter and landed some of their bigger recruiting classes, but not reached the kind of team success they wanted to Um Last year, he won just five games. Uh, this year, they actually won their sixth game on Saturday before he was fired on Sunday morning. Um, looks like they're going to probably should win their seventh game next week. They play an FCS team, I believe. I know, sorry, Allen Christian on FCS team. Allen Christian next weekend. Um, in his first couple of years, they won nine games, eight games, and nine games. Um, well, five last year, success to a lot of people. And I think the biggest thing is he's got some of the highest ranked recruiting classes to ever come through. The university, uh, they're kind of hoping for more success than just nine win seasons. Um, he did win three bowl games this time. They're capable of Texas Bowl, Orange Bowl. Has not won it, has not been to a bowl game since 2020. Um, I think the other big thing is in conference in the SEC, AM went uh, eh, not great. They went four and four a couple years ago, two and six last year, and they're currently four and three. And they're going to be heavy, heavy underdogs against LSU to wrap the season. Um, it's weird timing on a number of fronts. Um, you're two weeks from the end of the regular season. They probably are going to a bowl game. You just had National Signing Day, and that's the thing he's really good at. They also just won a SEC game, I think it was Mississippi State, fairly handily on Saturday night uh, before firing on Sunday morning. So the timing is weird, especially because next week they play again Abilene Christian. Uh, that would theoretically be their seventh win of the season. But this does all tie to Houston. While I'm not necessarily super concerned with what they're doing over there in Aggieland, I will say the tie to Houston is, frankly, I see in the comments every day. I see on Twitter every day. I see message boards every day. I see all kinds of things every day about 
people want the people want a new coach in Houston. They want a new football coach in Houston. Uh, there are people doing all kinds of things. And I actually have a comment. I want to um, comment. I was DM'd. Uh, I had a couple people say something similar, but one guy did his research and actually had some fair stuff to say in the second segment. Uh, I'll be citing that. But people are upset with the coaching of the football program and just blindly calling for change. And I've said on this program before, while I take my opinion out of this kind of stuff a lot of the time, um, I try to. I try to. Um, I'm never one to blame the coach for everything. I'm never one to say he's completely resolved of all blame either. Um, I say he or she, I guess, depending on the program. Um, but when it comes to Dana Holgerson specifically, I don't think it's happening until the winter of 2024 after next season. He won a couple of Big 12 games this year. Um, they'll cite that as progress, I'm sure. They'll make him do things like hire an office coordinator because they desperately need one. And they will uh, make him probably change defense coordinators, but I'm not a I'm not a betting man, so I'm not going to go bet on it. But I would imagine something that's coming and gave up a lot of points. The way this impacts Houston is, I think it also defers and delays all of those kinds of major changes because the Jimbo Fisher opening opens up a high-dollar job in the exact same market at what is, frankly, because in the SEC, and Houston's in the first in the Big 12, a more prominent program in the present tense. I don't think you could tell anyone in the 80s it would, but you got me, right? Um, now, I say to say that a top kind of candidate looking to move into a Power 5 job in the state of Texas would be more attracted to the A&M job than the Houston job, and they fired Jimbo Fisher with two weeks left, which means that they're going to get, frankly, first crack at a lot of those kinds of candidates. Now, there are the kinds of candidates they will get because they're an SEC school. I mean, people are mentioning already Dan Lanning and Lane Kiffin. I don't know if those guys would look at Houston necessarily, but they would be looking to get to the SEC, I'm sure. Uh, if you're Lane Kiffin, you're at Ole Miss, but you see the dollars and cents adding up higher at AM than they are at Ole Miss, right? Um, and so I think that those guys that probably wouldn't consider the Houston job in the same way, obviously, right? But a number of other guys that are being considered and the long list of laundry list of people you're seeing mentioned with AM job, you could theoretically think of like, would they look at a Houston in the Big 12? Uh, like Mike Elko, right? Duke coach built Duke up. Duke is not a football school. You could say, hey, let's talk that guy into building up Houston as a football school in a football city, a place he's recruited and stuff like that because he's been recruiting the state of Texas for a long time because he was the defense corner at AM. Yes, the same AM. Now they're open. You have to imagine that's a first call, right? Mike Elko at Duke is a first call to bring him back. Um, hard to imagine that if he had his brothers and wanted to leave Duke and could pick either program, he'd pick Houston. I, I could argue, and if he wants to sit down and talk about it, I could argue why Houston's got a job, but he's got the ties to AM itself. In a similar vein, um, Mike Norvell is a Texan. He's from Irving, now at Florida State. He was at Memphis originally. The Memphis-Houston thing would be fun. But Florida State money is more closely tied to AM money. If it's going to take more money to leave Florida State, Houston offering that kind of cash on top of having to pay the buyout of one Dana Holgerson, those things don't necessarily add up. Uh, Lance Leopold at Kansas been thrown around some as like, does he want to move, continue to move up? He was a you know Hall of Fame, greatest Division three football coach of all time. Uh, and now he's at Kansas and doing great things there. He's going to move up to the big time to a football school. Well, AM, from a dollars and cents perspective, would be more easily able to argue that they're a football school, right? I could, again, could make a different argument if I wanted to ask me, but on dollars and cents, AM would be the place to go for him. Um, GJ Kenny from Texas State, uh, he'd be really, really fast. He was the UCF offense coordinator in 2021, 
Incarnate Ward head coach 2022 and the Texas State head coach this year, and they've really flipped that program around. I don't know if he looks like a program builder yet, but a splashy name would make sense at an A&M, right? Uh, whereas Houston might want something that's a program builder, and he hadn't been anywhere long enough to build said program. I'm Tech State with the transfer portal built pretty quickly, I guess. But um, the money and those kind of things, you could see him ending up at an A&M in a weird way. Same with Willie Fritz. Um, Willie Fritz is first in coaching. job was at Blinn, like the next door neighbor to one Texas A&M. You can see those kinds of things tying through. Gary Patterson has been thrown around some as a guy that may want to get back into head coaching. Um, from a dollars and cents perspective, he's way more used to the kind of dollars and cents you would see at a Texas A&M. And so uh, Jeff Trailer's not my favorite, but his name, I should also mention, has been this kind of conversations already throughout the Sunday on A&M. All that is to say that A&M hitting the streets early with those jobs is a big thing. The other thing I'll say is that I don't want the dudes from A&M, right? Their interim uh, head coach is their D-line coach, and we already got one of those. He was at Penn State for the Penn State mess. Their defense coordinator is DJ Durkin, who was at Maryland, and the head coach when they got in all that trouble because they were running a ridiculous program with a toxic culture that ended up in someone dying of heat stroke. Bob Petrino was at uh, the, uh, he's the offensive coordinator. He was obviously at Arkansas and had the entire motorcycle incident. And he was caught with an adultering relationship mistress with someone who was formerly on the volleyball team that he had already broken rules to hire and all kinds of like all kinds of sketchiness there many years ago. They have guys in there top pro spots in that program at AM that while they may be looking for jobs in the near future, I don't want either. So you start to see things about like how this could impact Houston. And I actually think because of the situation in a number of different ways, and the segment's going to run a, a second or two long, um, but because of them being able to offer top dollar in the immediate present tense, them getting to the market earlier, and them having guys that I don't want to pilfer off of their current staff, I think this further kicks the can down the road on Houston making a major head coaching change um, in the upcoming offseason. I will say that I think that there will be coordinator changes. Again, hiring an offensive coordinator is a literal change that they could make. Um, I think those things could very well be coming. But the Jimbo Fisher news, I think, means that you got to, unfortunately, to some, I say unfortunately to some, Wait on that kind of stuff for another year. Um, now we'll talk about the game that one Dana Holgerson just coached in, and you know, uh, frankly, a, a story I want to talk a little bit about that I got DM'd uh, from the weekend in the second segment. But first, if we wanted to talk about something that you want to go do, like go to a Houston Cougar basketball game, Houston Rockets basketball Rockets are good right now. Go to a Houston Rockets basketball game. The Houston Texans are good. Watch Houston Texans play, Tank Dell play, those kinds of things. You can go get tickets for those kinds of things at Game Time and download the Game Time app. You can do all these cool things on the app, like see the seat view from the seat before you buy it. Uh, you can just tell them what section you want, and they'll pick uh, a row and seat within that section, and you'll get like an average savings of 18% if you just tell I want to sit roughly here, and they pick the rest of the work for you. Um, all kinds of cool things for theater, comedy, sports, music, whatever you want around town. There's all kinds of stuff going on in the H, and Game Time can help you find it. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply again. Create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-C-O-L-L-E-G-E -E 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 for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, low on prices, guaranteed. 
Now, I will say, in looking at this, um, you know, again, I already didn't think Dana was going to be fired this offseason, and I, I don't blame everything that happens on the head coach ever, and I don't ever also absolve them of all blame ever. Cincinnati was an ugly game, though, so I, I did rewatch some of it, uh, having already known the results, because I think that helps you make it look a little, look at it a little more analytically as you go. I had a feeling during the game that this was the case, but I can tell you guaranteed on a second watch, I can 100% guarantee the best play Houston made in that game was when the punter deked out <laughs> um, deked out the defense. I didn't remember the defensive player that was rushing, but uh, Lane McClain was about to punt the football, and he's a rugby player. He sees that it's about to get blocked, and he like pump fakes, lets the defense go by, and then punts the ball about 41 yards for Houston Downs. It's actually a pretty good punt as well as also sky high. And because it took us so long to get it off, it frankly was uh, impossible to recover for the def- for the receiving team. Um, so kudos to on all that. But when the best play of the game comes from a punter, I think that tells you a lot about the game. Now, we are not the Iowa Hawkeyes that are winning games 7 to two or, or seven to three or those kinds of things either very typically frankly the ties that houston's been its best uh, while they've had great defensive players come through marcus jones and oliver etc it has always been an offensive juggernaut whenever we're at our best and so um having the punter be the best player on the field for houston is an interesting way to go about it. now to be fair it's not his first time i'd call him that either this season um i did confirm a couple things though and first the thing i confirmed was that cincinnati did in middle of the second quarter so quickly get to basically a prevent defense they weren't quite backed up 30 yards like you might back up a prevent defense in the later portions of football game but once cincinnati went up 14 to 7 and was dominating the time of possession like they were they just said okay chip away at us see what happens and backed guys off and made houston come underneath you can see it in a number of different kind of instances on specific plays but from a statistics perspective you saw in the average distance of target was just 6.8 that's almost four full yards shorter than it has been throughout the season at various points and even in games where houston has done a lot of screen passing and short passing they've been closer to eight and a half or nine yards for average distance of target in this game Houston was throwing again. The ball was being targeted just 6.8 yards downfield. That's considerably closer to the line scrimmage than it had been in the past. Um, I think it's worth pointing out that Donovan Smith, if we're going to talk about the past game, uh, did throw three interceptions. That's not great. That's Donovan Smith of old. We thought we were past that guy. But in looking at the analytics and what gets called a turnover-worthy pass, really only one of them was a turnover-worthy pass in, t- in the sense that, like, it was just a bad ball. There was no reason to throw the ball where it got thrown. And that was somewhat ironically the one that he threw right to a linebacker because he didn't see the guy drop underneath it. And Joseph Manjack ultimately actually forces a fumble on the return that gets Houston the ball back and loses yardage but gets a first down. So weird series of events there, but the 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 worst pick he threw was actually not even a turnover. Um Shouts to Man Jack for that. I will say that the like opening the pick that opened the second half for Houston's offense uh, really kind of hit Sam Brown in stride, but looked like they went on the same page. Sam Brown was not looking at the ball, so the defender had a pretty easy pass breakup. But we've seen Sam 
make a play on that ball and box out and go up and get that ball before. I don't think that's a bad throw. I think it's a bad play, bad result, but not a bad throw. Said the pass breakup leads to a tip ball, which leads to an interception. Right, the the last pick of the game. Game was really probably decided, but you could talk yourself into the cardiac coots coming through and winning one at the end. Um, goes off of Boogie Johnson's helmet. Now, when Boogie Johnson fell, the ball was already in the air. Like Donald Smith's already wheeled back to throw the, the deep hitch route. And Boogie Johnson's planting falls down. Ball hits his helmet, goes straight up in the air. Cincinnati picks it off and almost returns it for a touchdown. Um, but on the throw side of things, I mean, if Boogie doesn't fall down, it hits him in the chest and they keep it moving, right? Like those kinds of things, I think on second watch, when you can take the emotion out of it because you already know what's coming, actually don't strike me as all that problematic. Now, do I wish they hadn't happened? Obviously, I don't think I had to explain that part of it. Um, but on the whole, the rewatch actually made some of the stuff that Smith did make a little more sense. And while it takes a sickle like me to watch a game three times like I end up doing most weeks. Um, I would recommend going back and watching those things with, a, you know, emotion taken out of it because it does tend to calm things down. Uh, Donald Smith was under more pressure than I realized on the second one on the second watch. He was under more pressure than I realized in the first watch. Um, Pro football focus had him with a pressure 11 different times and only having one sack that implies a lot of scrambling and maneuvering and move around on his feet. Um, I still think it was his worst game as a Houston Cougar. And that includes a game where they did not have an offensive touchdown. What I guess I'm trying to get around to is that I think he looked better in the second watch, knowing what happened. So I can like, you know, I guess have that grain of salt in the back of my mind. Um, than he did in the first watch. And I think that's because in the first watch, I was like, why aren't we scoring every time this secondary they have has a pair of freshmen at corner, new guys at corner and stuff like that. Uh, but the defensive line was really, really good for Cincinnati. And we knew it was good coming in. And they play as well as advertised. Um, Dante Corleone is a beast between the guards. Beast between the guards. Um, defensively, there were a lot of times where I thought Houston looked actually in position. Um, that is to say they had a guy in the hole within two yards, line scrimmage, and so on, that could not make a play or a tackle. Um, there were also times where, frankly, that you know they practiced too. I guess they got really good running backs. And I'm not going to try and take away from those athletes. They make a guy miss or whatever. You just hope that that happens less than 50% of the time, and it certainly seemed like it happened well over that. Um, I thought the Dot and Wonkel injury hurt a lot. No pun intended, but um, obviously him going out in the middle changes things up. And frankly, if anything, shortens your defensive line rotation. So when like the defense looks gassed at the end of the game, uh, you realize, like, oh, they took one of those three big fellas out of the game, so you have a lot more. Came into July, a lot more uh, – a lot more Anthony Holmes, a lot more, uh, frankly, a lot more with Caesar with his hand in the dirt and those kinds of things. Jamari Caldwell got a lot more snaps. And he, like typically you have another guy in that rotation. It kind of helps, you know, ease the pain, especially when Dot plays so many plays, right? Um, I want to jump into the comments I got from a guy on Twitter. And this segment's also going to, this whole episode might end up a, long, a little long. Um, but on Twitter, I have had several people tell me to talk about how they are not renewing their season tickets. Um, the product in the field has not been worth it. Um, but one guy brought up a valid point that it's not just that the product in the field has not been worth it, but that the university seems to know that. And I'm not going to put his name out there because if he wanted to renew it, I wouldn't want to come back to him. But it was not just that the product's not worth it, but that because no one's buying season tickets because the product's not worth it for many of anyone, the like desperation, hey, we're going to sell this ticket deal to try and get people in the stadium deals actually add up to where if you just 
bought those deals for each home game after the fact, you're actually going to end up saving money. And even if you have to buy a bad seat with no one there, you can go sit somewhere else. And he pointed out that, you know, like at Cincinnati game this weekend, uh, the Cougar plush deal was a four pack of tickets, $10 tickets and a spooky promo deal was $7 and 75 cents a ticket. Um, or they could get a free bas- a free ticket if you attended the basketball game that morning. He was like, I was already going to the basketball game that morning. I just have season tickets, but you miss out. So the attendance thing is snowballing. And I think it's an interesting way to look at the state of the program. And we talked in the first segment about like coaches and moving coaches and so on. And, you know, at some point the dollars and cents do add up. And if other people start to get hip to that system, right, where like, tickets are worth less the day of the game, not just through game time app, but just through everything than they would be. If you paid season tickets, then there are no season tickets sold right now. I get that. Um, the buyout's expensive and I get that the dollars and cents have to add up at some point. You get old EO Dana every dollar, no matter what. And that's frankly been why I've been so ardent that like, listen, he's going to get a second year in the big 12 because you're going to find that the cost is so, so high. And frankly, we've seen other programs, as poorly as this football season has been, other programs on, on campus are doing poorly as well. Uh, not the basketball program, not the volleyball program. I think the girls' basketball program looks like it's also turning a little bit of a corner to start the season. But at the end of the day, if it starts to also lead to less fan involvement, less fans in, et cetera, um, or as the tweeter comments in, um, people are realizing they don't need to buy tickets to get in the game. It's cheaper after the fact could add up to something else changing. Now, I do want to talk about something that is going well, and that is the basketball program. I really, really like talking about the basketball program. I cannot wait to do full-length basketball-only episodes. I love talking about this basketball program. But first, let's talk about something that you need to have in case something is not going well for you, and that is one Jace case. Now, Jace Medical is here to help you out because they know that you and I spend a lot of time talking and we get fired up about football, fired up about what losses. Um, I got a little bit animated in the post-game conversation on Saturday. Um, but as we build that relationship, you gotta know that I also want to make sure I want the best for you and I want you to be safe. And one way to be one way to be safe is go to jacemedical.com and get supplies for an emergency, things like the Jace case. Now you can go online, jacemedical.com, receive your 12-month supply for daily medications. Use code locked on at checkout for a discount. Um, they'll give you a $20 off coupon for the first purchase. Now I have to say that they have all kinds of different options for you. You can personalize and customize the kinds of things you're ordering for your home, help prevent things like those pesky viruses that can come out of your house and just have the stuff on deck for whenever they come in. So if you or someone you love uh, need the peace of mind for a year's supply of any daily med, go to jacemedical.com and see if it's offered for you right now. Remember to use code locked on for $20 off your purchase. Again, that's code locked on L O C K E D O N for $20 off your purchase purchase don't get caught unprepared everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the inspected and you can do that at jacemedical.com basketball program moving on all right so the basketball program is 2-0 and they head back to the fertita center to play the stetson halters of Dayland, Florida. Uh, they come from the A-Sun Conference. They're one and one. Their win was a non-division one team, and their loss was to UNLV. Now we're a couple games in the season, so we can actually look up some stuff on these guys. 
hence not previewing things that have happened thus far because the season is so, 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 so young. Um, <laughs> they're not very good. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Stetson's not very good. Um, they, again, 1-1 one one so far. The 219 in Kimpom, I will say uh, they got a 6-3 guard named Jalen Blackman who looks like he's a shooter. Uh, statistically speaking, uh, his tape from last year, I found some stuff on them from last year. They're the same head coach I've had for a few years now, so schematically, I imagine they're the same. Um, his stuff from last year, he's a true point guard as well, but he also shooting pretty high percentages and leading them in points right now. Uh, they got a 6'11 guy named Aubin. I'm going to try my best here. Got a resty. Uh, Aubin got a resty is a 6'11 long walking double-double. We'll get a double-double in A-Sun. Like it's A-Sun averages at least will be a double-double. He's very, very good. Um, I don't know how we'll fare against our bigs. Again, I think Houston's got very talented, athletic, uh, high-motor bigs. We'll see how that works. But he is a very, very good A-Sun big man. Um, I'd imagine after watching some of their stuff from last year, again, same coach, a lot of the same players, that um, they're going to run a lot of zone. That seemed to be like their forte against Power 5 teams last year, like Florida State and stuff like that. Um, they're super, super tall. They're actually in the top 25 in college basketball in terms of average height and length, length being wingspan. Uh, and so I think it's worth pointing out that like they're going to try and do the old Syracuse 2-3 zone a lot. That means that Houston can't get stagnant just because they're sitting back in that zone. I will say the zone is not an aggressive trapping zone, doesn't look like their MO, and they have zero steals on the year thus far so i don't think they're gonna be like fighting through passing lanes and stuff like that i think they're gonna be hoping to ho force houston into bad shots and we've seen houston play with their food and take those bad shots sometimes they go in sometimes they don't but that could actually be a way this game starts kind of sluggish and slow because the two three zone takes houston out of their rhythm and houston doesn't shoot the ball well to start the game and suddenly it's a low scoring first 10 minutes so kind of like we had against texan and corpus christi over the weekend uh, on offense, it looks like to me that they play a fairly spaced out game again, mostly because Gatoresti, the big guy we talked about, can play away from the basket offensively. So they have like that kind of spacing open to them in their repertoire. They do take really long possessions, though, um, like in the bottom, bottom, bottom percentile as far as like speed of play. Uh, live by the three, die by the three. Uh, they shot poorly so far this year. But on their like, if you look at their players' career percentages, those should even out at some point. That could also be because they played UNLV. And I think UNLV is sneaky good this year, so we'll see how that turns out by the end of the year. But um, coming off of a game that Houston opened up poorly, like Texas A&M Corpus Christi, um, there are kind of two ways to do this going. One, it's only been a little over forty-eight hours. We played at twelve thirty on Saturday, and then playing Monday night, and I could see how. Um, see some of the same continuing trends, right? Like Houston goes slowly and it's kind of playing with their food and there's a sub every dead ball because Kelvin is not happy about it, et cetera. About 10 minutes in, maybe at the under eight timeout or maybe even at halftime, Kelvin lights into them and then they go on a 40-point run and win the second half by a lot. I can see that being the way this game goes, right? I could also, on the inverse, see they played that game at 1230 on Sunday. Kelvin lights into them all or on Saturday. The, Kelvin lights into them all day on Sunday. And they spent Sunday getting chewed out and they're ready to go be, take it out on somebody else. And they come out like gangbusters on Monday night. I don't know which of the two ends of the spectrum it'll be. I don't feel like it'll be in the middle of that, though. Um, I think some notes take away from that AM Corpus Christi game that could tie into this one. Uh, Damian Dunn barely played in the second half versus 
Texas A&M Corpus Christi uh, after a great opening game against Louisiana Monroe. I don't know. Hmm. I wonder if that's like a tweak something or just, hey, let's not push something because he also had the injury before the season started, right? And we have a big Charleston Classic series of games hopefully coming up this weekend. Could see him getting sit, sitting even maybe all of Monday night. Um, I also thought JoJo Tugler played very, very little. Uh, I saw him with a heating pad. At one. I think he might have, be working through something with his back. Um, he has, again, 6'10", 6'9"-ish, but has a 7'9 wingspan. You heard that correctly. He has a 7'9 wingspan. He has a crazy high motor and is a very, very talented freshman of the Seuss Career basketball team. Um, I don't know that they need him on Monday. I'd like to see him play in this game Monday. But another guy, you could see them kind of like not play as much on Monday to get ready for Charleston over the weekend, potentially. With the length of Stetson, one lineup I'd like to see does include JoJo Tugler, potentially, and that's Malik Wilson at the point guard, LJ Cryer, Terrence Arsenault, JoJo at the four, and then either Jawan or Javier at the center spot. I could see, honestly, if JoJo can't go playing both Jawan and Javier because that's a really long lineup. Um, I want to see what that lineup looks like against bluntly inferior competition because I want to see what the lineup does offensively. Cryer can shoot the ball. If Terrence Arsenal's jump shot's falling, he can shoot the ball. Link Wilson's a freak athlete, has crazy bounce, floats in the air. If that lineup looks competent offensively, I wonder if you'll see it against some of these bigger teams in Big 12 conference play like a Kansas, right? Where they have KJ Adams at power forward, Hunter Dickinson at the center spot, like big, big guards. Do you see them go to this kind of a longer lineup potentially at different times. I think this would be a game to see if it works or not on offense. Now, this is ultimately a get-right game. A get-right game for the Charleston Classic, a get-right game coming off a game you feel like you didn't play well for the first 12 minutes, a get-right game moving forward for Houston as some of these games continue to be. Um, We will be previewing Charleston Classic basketball games throughout the week this week. A lot of fun basketball coming up, as well as Oklahoma State football game coming up. Um, Fun times there. Senior day, last home game, uh, those kinds of things as well. All things Cougars coming at you each and every day this week. Frankly, with so much going on, I'm going to have to do two episodes one day. We'll see how those kinds of things do. Make sure you subscribe. That way you get the latest Cougars in your newsfeed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked on Cougars your first listen today. Locked on Cougars is a primary Locked on Podcast Network, and that means your team, our team, every day. Go Cougs.